Howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here. Really excited to help you learn God's Word here at Mark Driscoll Ministries. We like to help people learn God's Word and we like to help leaders teach God's Word. And we've got a lot of new resources for you, all free, through the great book of 1 John in a series titled, The Father Heart of God. John was Jesus' nearest and dearest, closest and most faithful, best friend, and as an elderly man, the last living disciple of Jesus, he writes this amazing letter, and in his words, we hear the Father heart of God. I had the opportunity to teach this book in 13 weeks as a Bible study for the core launch team of the Trinity Church that I'm having the honor of planting in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I wanted you to learn God's Word, and so we've also provided for you about a 20,000 word study guide. This will help you study it personally with your family and or a small group. And for those of you who really like to go deep, we've got a free 240,000 word research brief that was put together by a team of scholars and professors and we'll give it all to you for free at markdriscoll.org. Go ahead and sign up and any gift that you give will help us to give more Bible teaching away. Thanks for the help. If you've got a Bible, go to 1 John uh, chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, go to the fake Bible on your phone and find 1 John chapter five. Father, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for the leadership. Thank you for the growth. Thank you for the campuses. Thank you for the people that have met the Lord Jesus. I thank you as well that I get to teach some scripture tonight and talk about you, Lord God, our Father, and Jesus, our big brother. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to illuminate the scriptures which you have inspired to be written so that we might see and savor Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Let me start with a question. What's your view of God? One of the most important things about you is your view of God. How many of you would think that God is like an absentee landlord? He sort of left you here in a bad place and he moved somewhere else and he's living a very enjoyable life while he's left you to endure a very miserable life. How many of you, your view of God is more like a boss? He just keeps piling on responsibilities and he's not very reasonable and he's not very understanding. And every time you pick up the Bible, it's another thing you're supposed to do, but you just don't feel like doing it. How many of you, your view of God is like a judge? He doesn't really involve himself or love or have any emotion or affection toward you, but he sort of sits back with a furrowed brow and he waits for you to make a mistake or an error and then drops the gavel to find you guilty. So you're living under condemnation and constant fear. How many of you don't even see God as personal, but perhaps you watched Star Wars and for some reason thought it was a good idea. And maybe, maybe God is just this force that imbues nature and he's in creation and trees and animals and, and he's not a, a personal being, but he's an impersonal force. What's your view of God? How would you explain God? How would you articulate God? How would you define God? Here's how Jesus, here's how Jesus informs us who God is. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the most influential person in the history of the world, more books written about him, more songs songs to him, more paintings painted of him than anyone who's lived in the history of the world, the most important person in the history of the world, they walk up to him and they ask him, can you teach us how to pray? Seems like a simple request. Do you remember Jesus' answer? When you pray, pray like this, our Father. See, we've all heard it. But in that day, it was absolutely revolutionary. People didn't refer to God as, Father, if you deal with other religions, maybe you have friends that are participating in other religions or family members, they don't refer to God as Father. That's uniquely, distinctly Christian. Up until that point, if you read the Old Testament and Jesus was a Jew and, and he was following the Old Testament, he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament, on a rare occasion, the entire people of God would be referred to as God's children, but it wasn't common that God was referred to as father. And you'd be very hard pressed in the totality of the Old Testament to find an individual who spoke of God as their father. In fact, Jesus got in a lot of trouble because he walked around saying, God is my father. Religious people opposed him and ultimately murdered him for declaring that God was his father. We've heard it so frequently, but in that day, it was revolutionary. God is Father. And, and before he even teaches us how to pray, Jesus teaches us who to pray to. 
I'll tell you why. Because the most important thing, the first thing is to understand that God is your father. When you understand that, you know how to pray. You know how to talk to him. When you understand that, you know how to relate to him. When you understand that, you know how to follow him. Because when you know who he is, you know who you are, and then you know what to do. And so this idea of God as father, it absolutely changed the course of human history. And I would submit to you that today, it is among the most important concepts for you to understand. And we're gonna get into this in 1 John chapter five, but let me say this. There is a deep and profound father wound. 40% of kids tonight go to bed without a father. For the first time in the nation's history, the majority of children born to women 30 and under are born out of wedlock, don't have a father. Many people either did not have a father, do not have a father, or their parents were divorced and their father, at least it feels like, abandoned and neglected them. The result is that, that when we speak of God as father, for some people it is a very painful thing to hear, for others it is a very confusing thing to hear. But let me say tonight, I hope and pray it's a very healing thing to hear. You may or may not have an earthly father, you may or may not have a good earthly father, but you do have a loving, perfect, devoted heavenly father. And that's the one thing that changes everything. So, so, so let, me, let me say this, I've got five kids, I'm a dad. Any other dads here? Raise your hand if you're a dad, okay. Any moms here? Any parents, okay. How do you feel about your kids? Not, not, not when they do that, but, but, but most of the time, how do you feel? Do you love them? Do you pay attention to them? Are you concerned for them? Do you orient your life in such a way to care for, to nurture, to protect, to provide them? True or false? Yeah, true, me too. I've got, I've got three boys, two girls. Absolutely love being a dad. When my kids were born, I was present as my wife, my best friend, gave birth to our kids. And you know what happened when the kids are born? First thing, they'd hand them to me. And what am I waiting and wanting and longing and hoping and praying to hear? Crying. So if they're alive, they'll cry out. And as soon as they cry out, I feel relieved because now I, I, I know they're alive. And I hug them and I kiss them and I pray for them. And then one of the first things I do, I introduce them to the rest of the kids in the family. Here's your brother, here's your sister. And then all the kids celebrate. They hug and they kiss and they welcome. And then we take that child home and they join our family. And, and I'm your father and these are your brothers and these are your sisters and this is your mother and welcome to your family. And the way, the way God works is he, he not only created the invisible spiritual world that we don't see, he created the physical world that we do see. And so there's a correlation between the two and there are lessons to be learned from the world that we do see about the world that we don't see. Meaning that if you understand how parents love their children and how they long to hear them at birth cry out. So God is a father who gives us new birth and he longs for us to cry out to him in prayer and in worship and in praise and in need. So I'm gonna ask you three questions. And my big goal in this is to help you determine with great confidence, is God my father? Is God my father? The first question is, what do you believe? Tonight we're gonna to talk, today we're gonna to talk about our father and our family. The first question is, what do you believe? First John chapter five, verse one says, everyone. So who is that? Everyone. Some of you would come here and you would think, no, you don't understand, I've rebelled, I've done the unthinkable, the unimaginable. Maybe I come from a good family, but I've done some bad things. I walk with God for a season, but I've turned my back on him. I've neglected him, I've abandoned him, I've betrayed him. And here's the truth, everyone, everyone, everyone can be born again. That's what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It's the one thing that changes everything. It's the most important thing. And that is what do you believe? And so he's talking here about two things, birth and belief, birth and belief. And like I said, when a baby is born, they cry out and we know they're alive. And when God brings birth spiritually into your life, you cry out in prayer, you cry out in song you start to articulate and express this life of God that is in you and is now being made known through you. 
And what he's talking about here being born or born again or born of God. How many of you have heard this concept, right? It's one of the most amazing concepts because we're born physically alive, but spiritually dead, meaning we're disconnected from God. We're living a life separated from God. And so for us to enjoy eternity with God, it takes a physical birth and a spiritual birth where we are born physically in this world and we're born spiritually into relationship with God. That's why some of you, if I asked you, are you a Christian? Is God your father? You might say, I was born a Christian. And I would say, no, you aren't. You're only born again as a Christian. You may have been born into a Christian family, but you need to be born again in Christ. And so what he's talking about here is, is this idea of a new birth. And, and the Bible's gonna use a lot of language. I'll, I'll give you a, some, it'll talk about regeneration, the new heart, new creation, new nature, new spirit, partakers of the divine nature, the new man made alive with Christ, in Christ, born again. This is all the Bible's various ways of expressing this one big idea. And that is that you and I are two parts, the physical body and the spiritual soul. And we're born in the physical body, but we need to be born again in the spiritual soul. And the question is, how does that happen? Well, that happens by believing that Jesus is the Christ. That's it. It all comes down to who you think Jesus is. And so proceeding forward, this determines your identity, right? Here's what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? It means there's a fundamental change at the deepest levels of who you are. You are changed internally, you are changed externally, you are changed eternally. To be born again is a radical cataclysmic alteration change of who you are at the deepest level and it sets in motion a whole life of change to where you become more and more like God your father because children want to become like the parents who love them, amen? Yeah, if, 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 you're a, if, if you were a little girl and you had a mom that just loved you, you wanna be like your mom. You put her heels on and wear her shoes and try and dress like her and act like her and hang out with her and become like her because she was the best person in your world. When I was a little boy, my dad was a union drywaller. And so I would put on jeans because my dad did and I'd roll up the bottoms because my dad did. And I only wore steel-toed work boots because my dad did. And I wore a white V-neck t-shirt because my construction worker dad did. And I shouldn't tell you this, but I will. He would roll up cigarettes in his sleeve. And so I did it with candy cigarettes as a little kid, okay? So my dad was not the sinless Lord God, Savior in Christ. He probably shouldn't have done that. But the point is, as a little boy, my dad was the one I wanted to be like. So I'd follow my dad around. My dad would swing a hammer, I'd swing a hammer. I had a little toolbox as a little boy. My dad had a lunchbox, I had a little lunchbox. My dad had a hard hat, I had a little hard hat. I'm a little guy. Boots, jeans, white t-shirt, rolled up, shouldn't have been, and lunchbox and hard hat with a tool belt going to the job site because I want to be like my dad. You know what? If God is your father and he causes you to be spiritually born again, you want to be like your father. You want to be like your dad. So you're changed internally. This leads to change externally. This changes life eternally. And this change process, it's the most exciting thing in the world. It's the most exciting thing in the world. And so here's the thing, because I just need you to get this. The whole world is filled with people who are trying to change what they do. God changes who you are. And when God changes who you are, that changes what you do. And when you know who you are, you know what to do because your identity determines your activity. And so it's not, I need to change myself. It's no, God needs to change me. And now as a changed person, I can live a changed life. As a new person, I can live a new life. With a new father, as part of a new family, I get a new identity and a fresh start. And, and so Christianity is not just about dying and going to heaven. That's true and it's awesome. And I'd encourage you all to go, okay? 
but it's also about heaven coming to you and God coming to you and changing you right now, changing your whole life, changing your future, changing your family, changing your legacy. Because once you meet the Father, your whole life changes and it changes in relationship with Him forever. And so let me say this, your identity then, once you become a Christian, once you're born again spiritually, you're a child of God. That's amazing. How many of you, you have a parent you're not proud of? How many of you have a parent you're really proud of? God is a father that we can all be proud of, amen? And, and when God is your father, that changes your identity. You're not an orphan. You're not fatherless, you're not abandoned. You don't need to create for yourself a name. You're adopted into a family with a name. It's the family of God. And what's so beautiful, what's so wonderful about this is when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know your identity, it changes your activity. That's why it just breaks my heart. The whole world is filled with, here's ways to change your life. God comes and says, let me change your nature from the inside out and that'll change your life. I'll give you an example. I was talking to a young woman recently in her 20s, big father wound, dad abandoned her, betrayed her, horrible father, broken family, terrible situation. She has done things that are regrettable and things have been done to her that are horrible. And she's become a Christian. She's been born again spiritually. She's met God as her father and, and she believes that Jesus is the Christ. And, and I asked her, I said, why do you keep dating horrible men? Violent, abusive, irresponsible, selfish, cruel men. She said, that's all I can have because I'm damaged goods. I looked at her and I said, you're not damaged, your daughter. You're not damaged, your daughter. When God looks at you, he doesn't say damaged. He looks and says, daughter. If she will believe that God sees her as forgiven and loved and clean and pure and hopeful and joyful and meaningful and valuable and purposeful, it'll change your whole life. It'll change your whole life. And, and so when he says, born of God, this is everything that's in that phrase. It's just pregnant with meaning, born of God. And, and, I, and then you would ask, and you should ask, well, how do you, how do you be born of God? This is, this is, this is good news. Right, some of you, you grew up in churches where this was true news. It's true news, but it's good news that's true. The phone book is true, but it's not very exciting, right? This is true and it's really good news. You have a father who is perfect in heaven and he loves you and he adores you and he's for you and he can change you at the deepest level and your whole life can be transformed and your legacy can be transformed and your eternity can be transformed and you don't work for the father's love, you work from the father's love. That's amazing. So I need you to know that the father heart of God is the same as every parent's heart toward their child, but only perfectly and infinitely. Say, so how, how do you be born of God? He says, well, there's the birth and then there's the belief. The birth happens to those whose belief is in Jesus. He says, in fact, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, well, what does that mean? Well, those two names actually summarize who Jesus is and what his mission was. Jesus is a derivative of the Old Testament named Joshua. Some of you are named Josh or Joshua. And Christ means the anointed one or the chosen one. So Joshua or Jesus means God is my savior, okay? And then Christ means he's the one, he's the one that's chosen to be our savior. So, so you need to know this, the problem is us. 
And the solution is Jesus. And this is different than all Eastern religion. All Eastern religion says, go into yourself. No, Christianity says, go out to Jesus. Christianity says, the problem is here. The answer is there, right? That I'm a sinner, I need a savior. That I'm the problem, that he's the solution. That if I'm drowning, I don't rescue myself. I need someone to come in and to save me from myself. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does. And so what he's saying is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that the problem is sin, separation from God, rebellion against God, independent, autonomous, prideful, self-sufficient living that says I have no need of God or I disagree with God or I'll find my way apart from God. All of that would be categorized as sin and folly and rebellion. And, and here comes a savior, here comes a redeemer, here comes a rescuer. He's Jesus, God who is our savior. He's the Christ, he's the anointed one, he's the chosen one, he's the only one. And, and, and that's what you must believe. And so, and so if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, boom, you're born again. You're born of God, God's your father. The kingdom of God is your inheritance. Jesus is your big brother, you're made new from the depths of your soul. And then that works itself out in the totality of your life in eternity. This is unbelievable. No one else offers this. Nowhere else can you be offered this. You can't buy this. You can't hear this echoed elsewhere. This is all Jesus. This is only Jesus. This is solely Jesus. This is thoroughly Jesus. This is completely Jesus. Not only do you have a father who loves you, you have a big brother who has come to rescue and save you. And his name is Jesus. And if, if, you, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're born of God. So here's my question, friends. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Not just a good man, but the God man, not one among many gods, but the only God, not a way to God, but the way, the truth, the life, the only way. Amen. Okay, so it starts with belief. What do you believe about Jesus? Second question, where do you belong? When my kids were born, we didn't just have a personal relationship. They also had brothers and sisters. So they had a personal relationship with me. They also had a relationship with the rest of the family. I wouldn't allow any of my kids to say, you're my dad, but that's not my sister. You're my dad, but those aren't my brothers. No, welcome to the family. So my job as a father is to love, 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 love my kids and help them to love one another. That's dad's job, right? God's a father, Christians, we're a family. I'll prove it to you. He says, everyone who loves the Father, he's gonna use the word love a lot. The book is five chapters, about 40 times, he's gonna use the word love. A lot, a lot, a lot of Christianity is about love. That God loves us so we can be loving. And some of you say, I don't feel like loving them. Then you're gonna to need to go borrow that love from another source, okay? And God provides the love for you to share. So in that way, love doesn't emanate from us, it emanates from God and it flows through us. So we love others with the love of God. So as God loves us, we love others. He's gonna talk a lot about love. How do you behave? Is it rooted and, and is it strengthened in love? We, and everyone he says who loves the Father, okay? Do you know how much God the Father loves you? Do you know, do you know the father heart of God? Do you know his commitment to you, his affection for you? Some of you say, well, there are things that I've done. And, and you know what? That does not change the heart of God. Your behavior does not change God's heart toward his children. Every parent who's ever had a wayward child knows when my kids are wayward, my love is actually absolutely unbroken and consistent because if they are to ever come back and turn around, it must be my love that compels them to do so. The father heart of God is no matter who you are or where you've been or what you believe or how you've behaved, he loves you. 
And this is so different than all of our other relationships because all of our relationships are conditional. If you do blank, then I will give you love, affection, approval, blessing, provision. God's love for us, it's not conditional, it's covenantal. What that means is it's not predicated on us. It, it, is, it is a reflection of him. And God doesn't wait for us to be good so that he could love us. He loves us until we change and become more like him. You, you need to understand this. Some of you are, are struggling. You're saying, I'm struggling so hard to be a person who loves God. Okay, this is controversial, and, 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 but hear me. Don't start there. Don't start with your love for God. Start with God's love for you. And as you understand the father heart of God and his love for you, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna start to love him back. And you know what's gonna happen? Then you're gonna start to love the people that he loves. The Bible doesn't say that you need to like each other. That's, that's, that's really helpful, okay? <laughs> The Bible says that you don't need to agree with each other. Cause you know what? Have you ever had a family where they disagree? Yeah, okay. You ever had a family where sometimes you don't like each other? Yeah, well the family of God's like that. It doesn't say you have to like each other or agree with each other. It says you have to love each other. But don't think about, oh, I need to love. First think I'm loved. Because loved people are loving people. People who are loved by the Father then love the Father and love the people that the Father loves. This is where he's going to go. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Those are brothers and sisters. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. First of all, you'll notice all the family language. Father, um, born, born of him. Um, he's talking about the children of God. So I need you to understand this. Christianity from God's perspective, the church from God's perspective, it's family. God's father, Jesus's big brother, Jesus saves the rest of us, right? The brothers and sisters, we're all brought together into the family of God. The father loves all the kids and the father wants the kids to love one another. And we call that the church. Does that make sense? This is so amazing in a broken world where there's divorce and people are living you know, far away from their family and extended family is, is absolutely you know, obliterated. And many of you don't know your parents or your siblings or your aunts or your uncles or relatives. And people just feel totally adrift. They feel rootless. They, they struggle to have an identity. Who am I? Who do I belong to? Where am I going? Who are my people? Welcome to Christianity. This is the only hope for the broken culture that we live in, is the church. You have a father and he loves you. That's good to know. Do you ever watch those shows where somebody's never met their dad or their mom or their brothers or their sisters? And then they do a little research. And then the great reveal at the end of the TV show is, here's your dad, here's your mom, here's your brothers, here's your sisters. What happens? People melt emotionally. Oh, I have a family. Every Christian, welcome to the family of God. God's your father. Jesus is your big brother. The people in the church, those are your brothers and sisters. Right? Every time I watch one of those shows, I think, boy, every Christian should feel like that every time they walk into church. Oh, it's a family reunion. Here's the brothers and sisters. Look at all the people that the father loves. Look at all the people that big brother Jesus saves. And I don't wanna be idealistic, sometimes, family drives you crazy, amen? Okay, I, I, I'm the oldest of five kids. I would tell you that my siblings drove me crazy. They would say that I drove them crazy. And I think God would say we're both right, okay? That in a family, you're gonna have frustration. You're gonna have disagreement. You're gonna have conflict. You're gonna have hurt feelings. You're gonna have a little bit of drama, but that's family. And family should never be treated as enemy that in fact, family should be treated in love because God has loved us and he has invited us to love one another. So what he's talking about here is three things, the father, the family, and the freedom. My question is, where do you belong? Do you have a church home? Are you plugged in? Are you rooted, grounded? Are you getting to know people, building relationships in the family of God? 
So he begins with the father, that the father loves us, then he moves to the family, so we should love one another. Now, I, I need you to understand this. This was such a radical concept in the first century. So this is written in the first century in a, a Roman cultural empire context. I've been to Greece, Israel, Turkey, archeological digs. I got a lot of nerd in me trying to figure out how the Bible's put together. What I found was in the first century in the Roman empire, if you called someone brother or sister that you were not biologically related to, it was a crime. Because they would then have inheritance rights and property rights. But what happened when people met the God of the Bible, their heavenly father, when they believe that Jesus is the Christ, their saving big brother, their allegiance went from not just their family, but to the family of God. They, they weren't just concerned about how everybody with my last name was doing. They, they, were, they were concerned about everyone who would call on the name of Jesus and count themselves as Christian, which is the family name. So much so that, that in early Christianity, as you read the rest of the New Testament, they'd call each other brother and sister. But in that context, that was a crime. But you know what? If you are a Christian, you know what it's like to love someone so much that you feel as close or closer to them than your own biological family, amen? How many of you felt that? How many of you are parents and if you died, you'd leave your kids, not to your relatives, but to someone that loves Jesus and worships with you in the church? How many of you, if you're like, if I was stranded on a desert island and I could only pick three people, they wouldn't all have my last name, amen? <laughs> that what happens is because the father loves us and the father loves them and the father brings us together as a family, there can be a genuine affection that grows between Christians to the degree that our love for one another is equal to or even supersedes our biological family. There's nothing like the church. There's no institution or organization like the church. The church is the family of God. And people will speak pejoratively or negatively or critically of the church. We shouldn't in the same way, I shouldn't speak ill of your family and you shouldn't speak ill of mine. The church is the biggest institution on the earth. It's the longest standing of any organization on the earth. It has more people today and in the history of the world than any organization that has ever existed. There is nothing as big, as beautiful, as majestic, as wonderful, as powerful as the family of God. Our father is a good father. He has saved people from every language, tribe, tongue, nation. He has brought them together as families in local churches and one big family as the capital C church. And our heart should be for the church. Our heart should be for God's people. Our heart should be for one another. Our heart should be for relationships. And I'll tell you what, when Christians fight with Christians in front of non-Christians, everybody loses and nobody wins because that does not accurately depict the heart of our father for his sons and daughters. Let me explain it to you this way. In the family of God, there can be distinctions without being divisions. In your family, are the kids distinct? I've got sons and daughters, they're distinct. I've got a son who's 14, he's almost as tall as me and he's built like me, so he's very handsome. And um, <laughs> he's got a big neck, so pray for him that he can find a shirt. And, uh, and then he's got a, so he's right-handed, he's got a brother who's left-handed, blonde hair, blue eyes, because my wife is blonde hair. And that kid's super skinny, looks like a capital L, okay? And he's over six feet tall. Okay, we're Irish, we were the O'Driscolls, okay? So if you're over six feet, that's amazing. We, we just all gaze at you, because you're amazing. If you have our last name and are over six, we're like, hi, I mean, that's amazing to us. They have distinctions, but they're not divisions. There's a family resemblance, but they're not all twins. So it is in the family of God. Uh, let me explain it to you in this way, distinctions without being divisions, because if we're going to love one another, we need to understand what I'll call the national borders and the state borders. Okay, so I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and then my family moved to Washington, lived there. I've moved down to Phoenix uh, more recently. Here I am over in the great nation of Texas, okay? And, uh, and what happens is as you travel between the states, it's pretty easy. How many of you have traveled internationally? 
True or false, traveling internationally is a lot more complicated than just traveling from state to state. Going from nation to nation is harder than going from state to state. You know why? The, the borders and the boundaries are different. In a state, you can just drive from one state to another state to another state. You wanna go from one country to another country? Well, now we're going into a whole nother governmental system. There's another king, another kingdom. Gotta get a passport, gotta go over there, gotta talk to the guy, gotta do this, gotta take my shoes off. It's very complicated. In Christianity, you need to know this, we have national borders that all Christians believe. And if you cross it, you're into another religion, different family. We have state borders. These are distinctions, not divisions. So think of it like the United States of America, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Charismatic, Independent, whatever group you come from. Okay, there's a state and the people there, that's what they believe, but they're all part of the same country, amen? Because you ask any Christian, well, do you believe that there's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the Bible is God's word, and Jesus was born of a virgin and lived without sin and died on the cross and three days later rose, and he's the way that our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life in heaven with God, all Christians would say, yes, yes. And if you start asking other questions, like should kids be homeschooled, private schooled, or public schooled? Well, set off the fireworks, pull up a lawn chair, we're gonna talk about it, right? Like. You know, should we speak in tongues, not speak in tongues? Should we use a hymnal or a praise band or an organ or no instrumentation or, I mean, all of these different issues, but you know what those are? Those are distinctions, not divisions. Those are state boundaries. Those are not national boundaries. Where we stop loving one another is when we make a state boundary, a national boundary. Your family's not exactly like my family. That's because your family's wrong and I'm not even sure your family's Christian. No, no. No, loving one another means agreeing about the things that matter and agreeing to disagree about the things that matter less. It's not that they don't matter, but they matter less. And if you're going to love other Christians in your own church, in other churches, you're, you're going to need to learn that the standard for godliness is not you, but it's Jesus. And if they love Jesus and you love Jesus and you both believe that Jesus is the Christ, you're in the same family, amen? And so the big issue is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and is God your father? And are you loving your brothers and sisters? And I would submit to you that I believe one of the greatest threats to the health and the future of Christianity is Christians making state distinctions into national divisions and not loving one another and working together and not, and not learning from one another. And when we do this in a, a digital age, openly and publicly, it just sends the wrong message about Christianity because then the non-Christians say, they don't agree on anything. And the truth is we all agree on Jesus. So let's talk about him. And let's talk about him openly and publicly so that others will believe that he is the Christ and they can be born again into the family of God as well because that's the most important thing. Now, let me say this. What does it mean to love one another, okay? What does it mean? I wrote this down. Love is sometimes a feeling about someone, but it's always a commitment to someone. Love is sometimes a feeling towards someone, but it's always a commitment towards someone. How many of you are married and this makes sense? Okay, if you're married, has there ever hypothetically potentially been a time that you didn't feel 100% pure love for your spouse? Maybe it was tinged with frustration, uh, disappointment, anger, um, grief, uh, embarrassment, shame, being mortified, whatever the case may be. You ever been with your spouse? And I, huh, what you said, what you did. I'm not just feeling like pure love flowing downstream, sweetheart. <laughs> there, there's some sewage in the stream. It's this, you know, it's not all pure water. Okay, you, you felt that? What love is, it's always a commitment and sometimes a feeling, okay? It's always a commitment and sometimes a feeling. So there will be times that you don't really feel very loving towards someone, but if you love them, you're still committed to them, to their well-being and to the future of your relationship. I believe that's what it means when it says to love one another. I'm committed to you. And sometimes I don't feel 
100% pure love because there's some other emotions that I'm feeling. But my commitment to you is like God's commitment to you and that is love. That's what it means to love one another. And again, this is radically different than the way that the world loves because the world's love is conditional. It's not covenantal. It's love that is given and taken and God's love is just given and never taken. And as we have been loved, so we love with the Father's love. And that is that we are always committed and sometimes we feel more loving than others, but we're always equally devoted to the well-being of the other. This will change your friendships. This will change your parenting. This will change your marriage. I love you, I am committed to you. Our relationship, I want to have integrity in the future. And I wanna to talk to you about something that makes it difficult so we could get that out of the way so that we could feel the love that we're committed to sharing. That being said, the greatest way to love God is to love his kids, I believe. That's what he's saying. He's saying, if you love the father, you'll love the children of God. How many of you are parents? And if someone really wants to love you, the best way that they can love you is by loving your kids. True? Okay, a couple years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, whatever, my family and I were in the most difficult circumstances of our life. I won't get into details, but it was, it was an incredibly crushing season. And I'll never forget, I was home with the kids and a big box showed up and I opened it and it was from another church, a church that's not you know, in our state, to use my analogy. Right? We're in this state, this group, theologically, historically, they're over in this state, but they sent a big box to my house. And I'll never forget, I opened the box and there was a gift for each of my kids, Beats headphones, okay? So that's loving, amen? <laughs> like if you're a 10 year old kid and you get Beats headphones, you're like, that's what John was talking about right there, some Beats headphones. <laughs> so all my kids get Beats headphones and then the staff members at this church each wrote loving letters to every one of my five children, encouraging them, praying for them, sharing scripture and thanking them for being part of a ministry family. And the pastor's wife wrote a very loving letter to my wife. And my wife read it in the kitchen and she wept. And my kids read the letters that were written to them and some of them wept and the boys put the headphones on. <laughs> and I remember in that moment thinking, if they would have sent me Beats headphones and a thank you card, I would not feel as loved as seeing the gifts go to my children and the letters go to my family, amen? That's. Just, I share that as an example of where another state loved my family. And in loving my family, I felt very loved as the father. God's a father. And if we say, I love him, what he's saying is then, then love my sons and daughters, right? Because dad's saying, I, you know, because the truth is the father doesn't really need anything, right? God, the father's not in heaven going, I really need something and I need you to do it or provide it. God's saying, no, my people really need things. I need you to love and serve them. That being said, uh, the, the father, the family, the freedom. Okay, um, I don't wanna overstate, but I wanna emphasize, this will change your life. This one understanding is like a key. If we put it in the lock, I'll get you out of prison. I'll get you out of prison. Hear these words. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. That is not a lie. If you grew up in a religious home, all you were given was burdensome rules and requirements, burdensome. Jesus talks about the religious guys, the Pharisees, and he says that they put heavy burdens on people, okay? 
You, you ever been a kid in school with way too many textbooks in your backpack? Right, you've been in the military, they're like, here's a 100 pound pack, now go run 10 miles in the sand. What? No, that's why I have a car. You know, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't wanna do that, right? How many of you have been hiking or you went on vacation or you took a trip and you packed way too much in your bag and you're, you're burdened by it? I can hardly carry the load. It's too much to bear. See, religious people, they just brick, 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 brick. It hurts. Brick, brick, brick. I can't carry it. Brick, brick, brick. It's gonna kill me. Brick, brick, brick. I'm gonna drop it. You'll go to hell. Well, that's a burden. So I carry the impossible load and die or I drop it and go to hell. And then what happens is religion is all fear-based. God will hate you. God will judge you. God will punish you. You will go to hell. Okay, I will, I will, I will get crushed under the burden. And we forget, oh, Jesus carried the cross. He already carried the burden. I don't need to carry the burden. He carried my burden. He did. And then Jesus comes along and, and the religious leaders are teaching and Jesus comes along and he corrects them. And he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Religious people are like, he's not serious. He's not intense enough. See what religious people do, they read the Bible and they're like, oh, there's rules in there. Good start, God. I'll pick up where you left off and I'll fill in the things you left out. And it's burdensome. And Jesus comes along and says, let me get that burden off you. It says, be perfect. You can't, I was. Burden off you. All the things you were supposed to do, I've already done. I've done in your place. I've done for you. I'll trade places with you. You get all of the perfection and blessing. All get all of the condemnation and cursing. All go to the cross. You go to the kingdom. We trade places. Give your burden to me. That's Jesus. And then what happens is, if we are a child of God and we have been born of God, I want you to know this, this is amazing. You not only get a new father and a new identity and a new family, you get a new nature. You do. You know what this means? At the deepest level, your desires change. They do. So, the way Christianity is often falsely explained is, you really wanna do something, don't do it, because you'll go to hell. No. The primary motivation for Christianity is love and not fear, and perfect love casts out fear. If you are born of God, if God is your father and you become a Christian, your desires begin to change. So then when God tells you to do something, it's not a burden, it's a blessing. Hear me in this. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. Do you see the difference? I took my kids to Disneyland recently. My kids like Disneyland. We've been like 10 or 12 times in the last two years. My kids, they're like, you want a map? Don't need it. And they've been there a lot, right? They know their way all around Disneyland. Imagine if I went up to my kids and say, Tomorrow, you have to go to Disneyland and you have to ride the roller coaster and you have to eat the ice cream and you have to stay until the fireworks. These are the rules. I put them on the whiteboard. I'm gonna carry it around Disneyland. We will check every box and we will not leave until you do all of these things that I command you to do. That would ruin Disneyland, amen? <laughs> You're just like, Hey, what if I said, hey, we're going to Disneyland. You're gonna eat ice cream till you throw up on the roller coaster. Let's go, right? <laughs> it's, what religion does, it takes good things that we get to do and turns them into bad things that we have to do. You don't have to pray, you get to pray. You don't have to worship, you get to worship. You don't have to read your Bible, you get to read your Bible. That's what I come along saying, you have to eat your dessert. Don't say it like that. You'll ruin it. You know, it's got sprinkles. It'll sell itself. Just. You know. <laughs> 
See, if God is your father and he changes your nature, he gives you two things. And this is amazing, the how-to and the want-to. The how-to and the want-to. You know what? The want-to, I wanna do what God says. I do, I wanna do what God, now sometimes I struggle with that and that's why he gave me the how-to, the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the same Holy Spirit that let and empowered Jesus for this perfect obedient life now has been given to me so that I could follow in the example of my big brother, Jesus. If you're, if you're really a Christian, you've been born of God, you have the want to, you want to obey God. And, you have the how-to because God is not telling you to obey him on your power. He sent the power of the Holy Spirit to obey him on his power. And what this means is sometimes you'll be tempted to sin, but here's what I want you to do. Here's the key. Here's the key that'll unlock the door and release you from your prison. When you're tempted, go for your deepest desire. If you're a Christian, your deepest desire is to obey God. It is. I was talking to a guy recently and he said, uh, I'm done. He's married, got kids. He said, I'm done. I want out. I want a divorce. Now, they, they hadn't been nice to each other. They, they'd not been gracious with one another. The love was not flowing freely. This marriage had some serious problems, but... but it could be salvaged. There wasn't adultery. It wasn't at some cataclysmic level, but it was at a very painful level. I looked at him, I said, okay, I know you're hurt and frustrated and tempted to just give up and go do something else. Let's spend some time together in prayer. Let's invite the father, okay? You're his son, I'm his son. Let's get dad in the room. Let's get dad in the room. Let's talk to dad about this because that's what prayer is, our father. So we talk to the father for a while in prayer. I pray, he prays, I pray, he prays. We get done. I look at him, I said, what do you want? He said, I want a divorce. I said, what do you want at the deepest level? He started crying. He said, I want my wife and I to love one another and figure this thing out and stay together. I said, okay. So the temptation is the surface desire, but the obedience is the is the deepest desire. Do you get that? He echoes this at the end of Galatians where he says, sin keeps you from doing what you want to do. A lot of you think that sin is doing what you want to do. No, sin keeps you from doing what you want to do at the deepest level. You know what? There'll be times that you'll be tempted to cheat on your spouse. Don't be don't be so easy to give in to your weaker desires, live for your deepest desires. There'll be times that you wanna turn your back on God, go for your deepest desires. There'll be times that you wanna be greedy and not generous, you wanna be a liar instead of a truth teller, you wanna be proud instead of humble, go for your deepest desires. And you know what? Your deepest desire, if God is your father, is to obey him in the same way that every child who knows that their father absolutely or their mother absolutely, unconditionally, deeply loves them and looks them in the eye with tears saying, please, I love you. Listen to me, don't do that. It's bad for you. Every kid knows that's the right thing. And the child of God has that same conviction at the deepest level of the new nature. That's why I get so frustrated. Much of this will be controversial, but when people come along, you say, well, tell me about human beings. Human beings are sinners. Okay, sin describes what a Christian does, but does not describe who a Christian is. Sin is sometimes what we do, but it's not always who we are. Who we are is we're God's child. And as a result, we have a new nature, we have a new father, we have a new power to live a new life. And that's where he goes telling us that, that we can live in victory. So the third question is, how do you behave? Four, chapter five, verse four, everyone who's been born of God overcomes. Victory, triumph, conquest, the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So he begins where he ends. 
Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? What he's saying is if you believe Jesus is the son of God, it changes where you belong. You wanna hang out with God and his people, the father and the family, and it changes how you behave. Now you want to obey the father. Now you want to follow in the example of Jesus. Now your deepest desires are to become more and more like your father and less and less like your old self and more and more like your big brother and less and less like the world. And what he's talking about is that every person lives in the middle of this absolute war between the world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is where Jesus rules and reigns and there's holiness and there's joy and there's life and there's peace and there's freedom. And Jesus is coming back with a great victory. And in the world, there is death and there's lies and temptation and abuse and grief and strife and division and conflict and hatred and pride. And we're living in the middle of this cataclysmic battle And there'll be times that you'll be tempted to to shift your allegiance from your father to the world. But he says it doesn't need to happen because you can walk in victory, you can overcome. How do you do that? By believing that Jesus is the Christ. And so what he's saying is that this is just good news, right? What he's saying is in the past, God comes as a man, Jesus Christ. True or false, Jesus overcame all temptation, all of it. True or false, he lived in total victory. Total victory. And then he goes to the cross and he suffers and dies in our place for our sins. He dies for us. He gives us all of his obedience for our disobedience, all of his righteousness for our unrighteousness, all of his life for our death. He trades places with us and his victory is our victory and the father adopts us and the spirit fills us and the desires change and life is made new internally, externally, eternally. Okay, Okay, over here. I have even more good news. Jesus is coming back. He's gonna come back. He had one victory, he's gonna have another victory. He's gonna come back, he's gonna judge the living and the dead, the dead shall rise. They'll stand before King Jesus, that everyone will be judged according to their deeds, that no one is getting away with anything. And everyone will give an account to him. And the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every king off their throne, every bully and thug out of a job, everybody on their face before Jesus. And it says that he'll wipe every tear from our eyes, that sin and death will be no more. And that we'll live as God's children in God's house together, feasting and laughing and loving forever. And what he's saying is in light of Jesus' past victory and in light of Jesus' coming victory, you can live in victory. Because if you belong to Jesus, you have the same person, presence, power of the Holy Spirit. You have the same love of the Father. You have the same access to the Father. And that means when you're tempted, You need to go for your deepest desires, your most passionate desires. No, I wanna be close to Jesus. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna honor the Father. His heart is my heart. His desires are my desires. His joy is my joy. So if you're here, my big question to you, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? What do you believe? Where do you belong? Are you connected to the people of God? And how do you behave? What things right now today, literally, they just need to be put to death, bury them with Jesus, get up out of your chair and we leave, and you go lead a new life, an eternal life, a great life, a joyful life, a guilt-free life, a victorious life, a free life. And if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the whole reason we're gathered is for this sacred meeting between you and your father. Your dad right now is looking at you saying, I love you. You just heard about your big brother, Jesus. Join the family of God. Receive the forgiveness of sin. So it's a great joy to preach to you. I want you to understand how good this news is, amen? Amen. There's no one like Jesus. There's, There's nothing like Jesus. And whatever you are seeking, It's only found in Jesus. The change that you're desiring, it's only found in Jesus. The answers that you have longing are only answered in Jesus. So I'm gonna pray for you and then then we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond in a very practical way. 
but would you bow your head? And if you have never believed ultimately, fully, completely, personally that Jesus is the Christ, Holy Spirit, would you please bring life to these people? Just like Lord God, just like children are born. Holy Spirit, would you cause people to be born again? Would you right now bring people from death to life, from enemy to family, from far away to close and near? Holy Spirit, please show those who are religious that they need Jesus. Please show those who were born into a Christian family that they need to be born again into the family of God. Please show those who are trying to clean up their life before they meet Jesus, that Jesus has already died for their old life and has a brand new life for them, not to make them a better person, but a new person. Please bring faith, please bring life, please bring joy to these people that you love so much, Father. I pray that we would love you, God, as our Father, that that would be healing for those who don't have a father or a good father. I pray for these people and for us, Lord God, that we would love one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Not because we have to, but because we get to, because at the deepest level, we want to. Lord, thank you that for this new life, you've given us the want to and the how to. And I pray for those who now have the most important decision that they will ever make. Do they believe that Jesus is the Christ? Amen.